everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Snohomish County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com slash hb. Again, altitude-re.com slash hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! All right, welcome everyone to another edition of Real Hawk Talk. We're here with Brian Nemphauser, Evan Hill, and me, Jeff Simmons, and Nathan Ernst should be joining us soon. And we're, we have a we have a lot in store this week for you guys. It's the Seahawks bye week. They're coming off a massive, massive win, huge game, sixteen ten over the Los Angeles Rams. A game that felt like a classic Seahawks game. They haven't had a game like that all year where it was just a total grind till the end against a really good team. It felt like a classic Pete Carroll game where they should have they should have put the game away, but they just kept hanging in there and kept hanging in there. And it felt like every big game in the Seahawks era where they you felt they were about to put them away, but they're only up six points. And they leave that Cooper Cup almost scores at the end. It was just a crazy, crazy game. And it just – it felt great to be in a game like that. I don't know about you guys, but they haven't had a game really like that all year where it just felt like classic Seahawks game. I'm pacing around my house during the game. I'm screaming like a madman. I haven't felt like that maybe since 2014. I don't know. There's there's a lot to take away from that game. It was pretty crazy on a number of different fronts. So, I don't know, Brian, if you want to start, what what was the biggest thing you took away from that game? And what, what are your thoughts after that big division win where they take the lead in the division back? Well, uh, sorry, I'm having a funny conversation with somebody who's already on. And welcome, uh, Nathan, who's joining oh, Nathan, late. So here we go. Um, you'll have to probably unhide him now, Jeff, because uh, we're so ruthless with our mm-hmm. allowances here. Yeah, you'll you'll we'll take care of you, Nathan. Just 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 pipe down for a minute. But but uh, uh, somebody really thinks Evan's cute, and and so I'm having a conversation with them. Um, I, I'm a little I'm a little Hello. That it's it's not just his his, his fiance who's somehow logged on and is uh, involved in this. <laughs> and I'll make sure and pass along the username to to your fiance in case there's any. Oh, that's too funny. Track him down. <laughs> um, but no. Uh, first, first off, I mean it's it's great to have everyone back. It's great to have the gang together. We haven't had the, the four of us um, all on for a while, so that's gonna be fun. And um, uh. If folks are just joining and you know you're gonna be listening to this later as well, please subscribe. It's a great way to to grow the base and make sure you're you're getting reminders when stuff's happening. Sometimes it happens ad hoc. We're moving ad hoc. Did you get that? Uh, we're moving to Wednesdays at seven o'clock. Is gonna be our probably our standard time. Um, so people should just set their reminders because there's gonna be great Seahawks talk every week, seven o'clock, and uh, we've got actually a lot of guests lined up in the coming weeks. Um, 
all shapes and sizes, some really cool names. So I think people will be excited about that. Um, but you asked me a question and I totally ignored you because, you know. No, that's, those are important announcements. I just ramble. Um, what did you ask me again? So what, were, what, was your, what was your big takeaway from the game, man? That, that was a crazy game. Oh, my gosh. So, so my big takeaway, I, I'll give you two. Yeah. First was, um, I'm going to swear, but fuck, I love that. Like, oh, man. Like, it just felt so good to see the Seahawks be the team that came on the other side of a game like that. It's been so long t- since it's felt like the ball bounced their way or a call went their way. Or, you know, a, a pass dropped instead of being caught. Uh, like, all that stuff just kind of worked. And so I really relish that win because, God, it's been hard to beat that team. No matter how good we were, no matter how bad they were, it's just hard. So I that was my first reaction. My second was like, come on, people. Are you really going to react to the first time we beat the Rams away? In a game that almost everybody expected us to lose by complaining about the offense. Like, come on. Like, yes, they sucked, but they won. They freaking won. So, like, can we just enjoy that for a moment without, like, all the freaking rain dropping on the parade? Come on. So those are my two reactions. How about you, Evan? How about you, Evan? Uh, my first one is Earl Thomas had one hell of a game. I cannot believe how impressive he he was Ooh. with his second, you know, karate chop block um, on the one yard line. I I see. I didn't even actually notice it at first. I, I had a buddy who pointed it out that you know it went out of bounds, and I, I didn't even really understand what happened in the moment. It just happened so quick. But just to have the instincts to to you know like pull from that center field position all the way to the right side and the hustle that takes and. And just the focus, I, I, I just can't get over, like, how incredible that play was by Earl. So um, I, I think it really just highlights that, like, we, we heard that, like, defend every blade of grass um, kind of, like, motto last year. Maybe it was two years ago. But I, I just thought that was really cool to kind of see, like, the defense, you know, they can bend a little bit, but they don't, they don't typically break in the end. And it's kind of cool to see the defense rebound in the second half and kind of, like, hold their ground in the, in the second half of that game. So I was um, – a little bit worried about the defense in the first half, but I was really impressed to see them kind of hold their ground and 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 really kind of take over in the second half of the game. Um, so the first takeaway was, wow, Earl Thomas, defense, Ben don't break. Um, second takeaway, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to have to go against you on this, Brian, and I hope you don't hate me for it. I am <laughs> the most positive person ever, like when it comes to absolutely anything, and especially the Seahawks. So I am always looking for like, you know, the, the best of situations, but I was really, really disappointed with the offense. And I'm going to tell you why I was disappointed with the offense. Not the typical like, oh, they didn't put up enough points. To me, when it came down to it in the fourth quarter, the defense had to make several really big stops. And, you know, it was a couple turnovers and that type of stuff. And they gave the, oppor- they gave the offense the opportunity to shut down the game two or three times. It was like eight, nine, ten minutes left in the fourth quarter where if the offense had just moved the ball and maybe gotten a few first downs, it would have absolutely closed the game. Um, so I, I think to me it was disappointing to see, like, like not that they struggled in the first three quarters. I, I was expecting them to struggle throughout the game. But it, where was this, like, killer mentality, mentality by, the, by the offense in the fourth quarter where they had this opportunity to close down the game and they just didn't do it? 
they didn't do it three or four possessions in a row. And that, that's, that's, to me, that's when you got to show up. If you pride yourself on finishing the game and not starting the game, then you have to finish the game. You can't just not start and not finish. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so here, like, I got to jump in. So we're not actually in disagreement. I don't think. And I would actually like it if we were, because that's more fun. But, but, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, of course, as they play, the, the offense is disappointing. The offense is bad. Like, all that stuff's true. Yeah. But if your reaction when the whistle blows and the Seahawks win is, man, the offense sucked. Oh. I just think you are missing out on, like, it is so hard to win. You better friggin' appreciate it. When it happens, yes, on Tuesday, Monday afternoon, complain about the offense. Okay, Five yeah. minutes after they win, shut the hell up about the offense. They won. No, that's completely fair. I completely agree. A road win in, in L.A., not St. Louis. I almost said St. Louis. Sorry, St. Louis. Um, a road win in L.A. <laughs> is a big deal. It's, uh, you know, I think like Davis and a few other people said, it feels like two, three wins because the next game, you know, the next divisional game we have with them is at home, and, that, and that's a big deal, you know. So it, it feels like a couple wins, and, you know, to be down – to be up 3-2 instead of 2-3, you know, and with the Rams firmly in lead in the division, that'd be uh, not a good scenario. So, <laughs> All right, Nathan, how about you, man? What was, what was your big takeaways from the game? Man, I just thought that game was a lot of fun. Like, yeah, as fun as a 16-10 game, I think, could be. Um, as fun as a game where, you know, the offense was really ugly at times can be. Um, there was, you know, the whole Jared Goff and is Todd Gurley going to be an MVP candidate and Todd Mc, or, uh, Sean McBay and like, you know, people talk about him like he's the uh, the next big uh, offensive genius. And I mean, I don't want to take too much away from those guys, um, except for Jared Goff, because he's not that good. Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> he's not. I don't know how a lot of people wrote nice things about Jared Goff and I respect the hell out of a lot of people, but I, I don't know how people were watching him and thinking that he was, I mean, anyways, he, he's fine. Whatever. Um, but I mean, that was fun, right? I mean, like I, I, you know, it was fun to have like, uh, I think that's the closest thing I've felt to like those old Niners games where we really had a rivalry. Um, you know, a couple of the Cardinals games were fun like that, but it was just, I don't know. I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Um, uh, the other big thing was, I think kind of everyone's touching on it, but like, I don't think, I think this, uh, everybody keeps talking about their offense going through an identity crisis. And I think that it was never more on display than that game. Um, they were, you know, hanging on to that old kind of um, pound it run game with Carson and Carson was good enough that it was not a complete disaster. Um but without him, it really fell apart, right? I mean, Lacey couldn't get close. Rolf couldn't get close. Um, and I think it was just really apparent that the, the game they want to play um, and the game they're good at, they're not the same game. And they're almost, like, trying to stitch them together. Like, they'll go, like, heavy, you know, under center on one snap, and then they'll go five wide shotgun on the next. And it's like, wh what are you guys? Um, so that's a little concerning. But overall, it was just, I mean, it was a hell of a game. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And there was one play, I think it was in the fourth quarter, where they had a third and long, and they lined up Trey Madden out wide on the left side. And they threw a pass to Baldwin that wasn't even close to the sticks. And it was a big play at that time. It was still a three-point game. That play pretty much summed up everything Nathan was talking about. Evan knows the play I'm talking about. Why is Trey Madden ever out wide as a receiver? That, that was Why is Trey Madden on the roster? Yeah, pretty like, number one. Preach, Brian. Preach, Pastor Brian. Why? I mean, 
give me Marcel Reese every day. I, you know, like anyway. <laughs> uh, but but here's so I want to I want to bring up something Mike Holmgren said. Yeah. Uh, uh, it was a couple weeks ago, which I loved. It was so classic Holmgren. And I can't remember who was asking the question, but it was basically like, "Hey, if you were the if you're back in your coaching and you've got a, an offense that's you know struggling, and your defensive coordinator comes in and is like, you know, we're having to be on the field all the time. You know, uh, we're there for all these plays. You guys got to do your part." You know, um, we keep going three and out. <laughs> what would you do? Or he said, if the defense coordinator said, you guys keep going three and out. Holmgren say, all right. What's keeping you from holding them to three and out? That's your job. Make them go three. And out. You want to get off the field? Get off the field. And I love that because that's absolutely the way you've got to drive accountability and responsibility. And this is the best paid defense in the NFL. They've got more all pros and pro bowl players than any other team. And what gets lost, and I'm an apologist for the defense over and over because I do, I mean, I love those guys. I love how good that, that part of the team is. But how many times do we see special teams pin the other team deep and then the defense lets them out to midfield? Missed opportunity to make the life easier on the offense. How many times do we see, you know, that the team goes, you know, holds them to three and out a couple of times and the offense finally scores and pulls ahead and the defense lets them come back. How many times do we see at the end of the games when, you know, like it or not, the offense was, there was no defensive scores unless I'm forgetting something, right? So this was all offensive points. The offense had scored more points than the opponent. We were ahead. At that point, the defense, how many times do we see the defense give up the late touchdown, which they almost did again. So, it was really nice for me to see the defense just like own their shit. Like they were there, they were consistently getting off the field, making great plays. And they got better as that game went along other than the very last drive. And that, that was going to be my takeaway. And I want to shout out one position group. I know Evan mentioned Earl Thomas, got to shout him out, but the defensive line we've been hit. We've been hard on them all year. In that second half, Frank Clark was a freaking animal. Yeah. Frank Clark was going up against Andrew Whitworth, maybe the best left tackle in the, the game right now. He's allowed one pressure all year heading into that game. And all game, I'm wondering, why is Clark lining up against him? Why don't they have him on the other side? Why don't they move him inside? Every time I kept saying that, he would blow right by him. And Frank Clark, Jaron Reed, who I've been shouting at all year, had that big pressure leading the interception. Sheldon Richardson, who we asked Brady Henderson about because he's been kind of quiet. He makes those freaking crazy athletic plays. On the interception, he's there to scoop up the fumble. Naz Jones was really good. Brandon Jackson, a guy who I didn't even know who he was going into that game. So it was nice to see those guys finally make an impact because they're such a highly paid group. And a lot of people were worried how they'd respond after losing Cliff Averill, who's been so good for this team, maybe the best defensive lineman on the team last year. So for me, it was great to see them really take over a game against a quality offensive line, a quality team. And, yeah, that was – to me, the team, the biggest takeaway is this team just can't win a game easily. Every game feels like – it did feel like that old Niners game. It's, I'm pulling out my hair and screaming at the TV, and I'm pacing every time they have the ball on third down because I don't know what the hell they're going to do. But, yeah, I think Nathan nailed my big offensive takeaway is there's still that disconnect in between how they want to play philosophically and what their personnel is. Because every game you look – and there's still those plays where they're like Tyler Lockett's wide open down the field and they're wondering why you can't use these guys consistently and why it's not working. And they're still trying to pound the ball with Eddie Lacy. And 
They're getting there, though. It's just, yeah, they're starting to get there. They're evolving, it seems like. Let me ask Nathan a question on this, actually. Do you ever think Mm -hmm. in the Pete Carroll regime, in the Pete Carroll era, do you think they will ever change fundamentally, philosophically on the offense? Do you think there will ever be a radical shift there from from that, like, power run game? No. I mean, what they'll what they'll probably do is they'll shift like, you know, they need to shift to more shotgun runs. If you're going to be stubborn about the run, run the plays that you're good at running. Right. I mean, use more read option and stuff like that. And I could see them, you know, uh, making that kind of a shift in their philosophy, but I don't, I don't think anything. I I don't know. I'd have to see it from Pete to believe it before he's uh, see major philosophical shifts from a 68 year old guy. Makes sense. I, I listened to the same interview as Brian brought up, and I had this. I, I just. I just wish. Imagine how good P would be if he had like a offensive coordinator like Holmgren. Imagine if he somehow combined them into one coaching staff, like Dan Quinn brought in Kyle Shanahan. That was his first move. I always wonder how P would do with like a really bright offensive staff because I know Brian's hit on Carl Smith, and we've all talked about Bevel and Cable. Imagine if you can bring those guys together somehow. Well, that was supposed imagine, to be Jeremy Bates, right? Yeah. That that didn't last so long. Those fourth and one fade routes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember who that guy was. The tall, stiff that they used to throw those to the receiver. Yeah, Mike Williams. No, no, way stiffer. Obamanu. Yes. <laughs> nope. No nope. more stiff. Sheesh. Yeah, I'm gonna look him up while you guys keep talking. What was this before I was born or something? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> 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 no, I just imagine this team with all the defensive talent, with an Andy Reid type or someone running their offense that did something different and did something creative. Because see, Andy Reid would be awesome. Uh, he yes. runs such a creative uh, run game. Um, I think he'd be an amazing fit for Carroll. Um, he's the guy that I keep coming back to when you talk about like them evolving and incorporating short stuff and quick stuff and still being like an aggressive running team. Um, I think he's kind of the model for that. Yeah, and if you've watched Kansas City, they've kind of adopted what Seattle wants to do. They've adopted West Coast philosophy with more of spread concepts. And that's exactly how Seattle's personnel, and they really focus on getting the ball to Hunt, getting the ball to Tyreek Hill. Seattle could run a similar kind of scheme to that, right? That's how their personnel sets up. I don't know. I don't know if their line works for what Andy really does. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> but like, well, and not just because they're like bad, but like, uh, I mean, he does, Andy Reid does all kinds of crazy stuff with the running game. I mean, he'll pull anybody at any time. And um, I don't know if the line quite works there, but the, the idea like philosophically definitely fits. Mm-hmm. So the name I was looking for is Ruvel Martin. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. He caught the <laughs> touchdown in that. and nine targets for 158 yards, 22.6 average. The guy is a beast. We no wonder they're doing him on Charlie Whiter threw him that touchdown, opening drive. <laughs> Ruvel. My head is full of useless Seahawks information. I love it, dude. That's, that's why you're here. That's why yeah, you're man. Here. Charlie Whiter loved that crazy good drive. Everyone was a believer for five minutes. I, I never, never <laughs> He was like the headline you know, of Peter I, King's article that week. Oh my gosh! I, I don't know, guys. If, if I wish you could have all been there for Charlie Whitehurst's first training, like public training camp practice, 
he would like toss his hair and like half of the like berm all the people on the ladies on the berm would look and it was like i was like oh god and he just strutted and he never seemed like anywhere close to as interested in football as he was in his hair um but uh yeah that was doomed from the beginning <laughs> how do we get here what's next <laughs> get control right. of this jeff all right all right that, we're, we'll get a little more into the rams game later i'm always happy to talk touchdown touchdown jesus or check down charlie whatever you want to call him clipboard uh, who knows but yeah, yeah we don't have a we don't have any guests tonight but since we have the whole hawk blogger staff around we want to arrange kind of a round table it's seahawks it's only week the Seahawks don't have a game that we're going to be doing the show for quite a while. And we got all of us together. So we're going to do a little round table segment. I'm going to open up with a question and we're going to go through all four of us and kind of give our take on the question. And if anyone wants to chime in with questions, we're happy to add them to the round table. But since we got the whole staff for pretty much the whole staff here, I figure this is a good way to transition right now. So let's start off the top. It's been a polarizing topic all year. And you can't go on Twitter if, during a Seahawks game without seeing a take on this. But how would you grade Russell Wilson so far this year, Nathan? How would you start with this one? I just want to like uh, like set the framework of this discussion here. Are we talking like are we how would we grade him relative to him, or are we talking about like how we grade him relative to the NFL or our expectations or or what? Right? Could, uh, I'd say it relative to expectations. I mean, relative to expectations. Uh, uh, C minus D level. I mean, I, I thought he was going to be, uh, I, I had a lot of the same thoughts that Brian talked about. Like I, this felt like a really special year coming out of the preseason and that obviously just hasn't been there at all. And, uh, you know, a lot of that is on Russ. I mean, he's had really bad moments. He's had, um, both bad reads and bad throws. Um, I, I think that to this point, it's probably been his worst year. Um, of his career. Um, so relative to expectations, I mean, it's been relative to expectations. It's been a pretty big disappointment for me. All right. How about you, Evan? Yeah, no, I mean, I'm in complete agreement with Nathan. Maybe, maybe not such a low grade, maybe like a C, C plus, but he has definitely not come out of the gates, like kind of like bringing hell with him. Like I kind of expected, but maybe, maybe that's partly due to the George Fant injury. I mean, that's got to play a role, but I mean, also, he's missed just, frankly, like a lot of throws, a lot of throws that he's typically used to making, that we're typically used to watching him make. He's just missed in the first half. And, um, you know, he's kind of finding his groove in the second half a little bit in, in, in some of these games. But overall, I think pretty disappointing so far. Um, but, you know, maybe, maybe he gets it together in the second half of the season. So who knows? Brian, you want to jump in here? Uh, yeah, so grade for Russell, eh, I mean, C, I guess. Uh, I'm not I'm not quite as harsh. Uh, I mean, I, I love that, that Nathan's coming out strong. Uh, it's always better to, to not hedge uh, on an opinion. And I think, as I've said before, I just think compared to what I've hoped for for him in terms of how he would take control and, and grow as a player, um, I'm just not seeing evidence of it. And um, I can, I absolutely, I'm sure there's people screaming, you know, at the radio, if they're listening to this on, on a podcast or at the screen right now as they're hearing me talk. But 
I know a lot of it's offensive line related and, and the line makes things tough, but the offensive line being a problem has been a constant for Russell Wilson since he entered the league. There hasn't been a point when the team had a great offensive line. There was a few years maybe where the offensive line was mediocre, but they've always been 26th or worse in sack rate since 2012. They've never been better than that. So that's bottom like quarter, bottom like, you know, fifth of the league in, in sack rate. So pressure has been an issue always. And if you want to adjust and avoid pressure, a big part of it has to be in understanding how to do pre-snap reads, how to adjust protections, how to identify the most likely receiver to be open the quickest and to get rid of the ball. And I don't expect a quarterback to come out of college and be ready to do all those things and identify all that stuff, but he's been in the league long enough. I guess I would give the coaching staff an F on what they've been able to do for him. Pete talked about giving him a master's course in football at some point, and they couldn't do it for whatever rule purposes. How about this? Hire a damn quarterback coach that isn't 7,000 years old and hasn't coached anybody of note. Like, bring in somebody who actually knows how to develop a quarterback and will sit with him. Russell had to do it in the offseason to go back to his old <clears throat> North Carolina coach, I think is who he talked to, to, to break down. I'm like, that's ridiculous. I'm glad Russell did that. I respect that. But there are too many people out there that could be helping him grow as a player. And I feel like the, the coaching staff's letting him down. So I, I, do, I do feel like there's a, a couple pieces in there that aren't just about Russell. Yeah. I know if CJ was here, he'd probably be screaming at all of us right now. But I'm <laughs> I'm gonna I'm more or less in line with you guys. C C minus. Um, there's just too many inconsistent stretches. There's too many times where Russell just can't do is struggling with basic quarterback awareness. There was a there, there was a safety in the Indianapolis game. There's been too many plays where he just isn't making the throws and a quality NFL quarterback should be making. There was a ton of misses earlier in the year. And there's just been too up and down when it comes to just overall consistency. And yeah, we have to admit offensively, he's taking way too many hits. There's pressures every game, but as Brian said, that's just part of the package and you're going to have to adjust with what you have. And for Russell to jump to that next level, you need to be more consistent and you need to be doing just the basics of quarterbacking. And there's just too many times you saw it in the first quarter last week where he's just, he's not doing a consistency. And we all think Russell was going to be an MVP candidate. We talked about it in the preseason. We saw what he's like when he's rolling and when he's comfortable and when he's not thinking too much and when he's in those two-minute situations. And that Russell is great. He comes out, he was there in the second half of the Colts game, a lot of the Titans game in the second half. And you saw it in stretches in the second quarter where he's hitting third downs and complete. But until we see that up and down, up and down, he, he's where we all want to expect more. So moving on to the second – yeah. Sorry, I got to interrupt you. I'm sorry. But yeah. but you brought up that point about this hot stretch in the second quarter. And I'm just curious, everyone else saw this, but it felt like Pete actually acknowledged that they like to in the first quarters or the first half of, of road games, especially look for explosive passes and, and big plays yeah. downfield. And you saw them doing it again. And it wasn't that effective. Just like it wasn't that effective in Tennessee. And then on that touchdown drive, it seemed like every pass was intermediate, like seven to 12 yards, 15 yards. And they were successful with it and it looks repeatable. And then they went away from it. It felt like the rest of the game, they were looking deep again. Was that just me or, or like, is that something that, that happened in that game and maybe something that, that should be changing as part of their philosophy? 
Yeah, it's just, again, back to the identity. It doesn't seem like they have any idea who they are. And so you see these kind of wild swings from, like, drive to drive. And and people used to complain about, uh, and people still complain about the, just the run-pass balance. And, and there is that. I mean, I don't buy into that as much. Um, but uh, there's also just, like, from just, like, a passing perspective. Like, are you a, a heavy set play-action team? Are you a spread them out you know, four or five wide shotgun team. Like, what are you? And they don't seem to know. And one of the notable developments of the last game was how they used Jimmy Graham. He was separated. He was isolated a lot more from the formation. They finally used Graham in the way that we've all been probably screaming about for three years. But what took so long? Why did this take three years to figure out he can't block and he needs to be isolated? Evan's gonna Evan's gonna end up with hair like all of us by the end of this show, but my head's about to explode. Yeah. Just like you said, though, you tweeted it somewhere on Twitter or a couple days ago or something. You were like, it, it came three years too late. Like, 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 why did we just now figure <laughs> out how to target Jimmy Graham? Isolated, you know, pull the receivers to one side, isolate Jimmy Graham, get him one on one. Why did we just figure that out now? Why? <laughs> Uh, is he good at that? Do we? Does there a lot of reasons to think he's good at that? I mean, maybe it took this long because he's not good at it, and it happened to work once. But like, did we see it a lot in New Orleans, though? Or yeah, I thought he did it plenty in New Orleans. That, that was part I mean, of yeah. it. Jimmy to me is a guy. He's chasing women. Jimmy's gonna make crazy catches. Like he's gonna make spectacular catches, but he doesn't run great routes. He doesn't separate for as athletic as he is like we've seen them throw fades to him and he doesn't come down with the ball very well um like i i don't know it just seems like if he was good at that he would they would probably have been more successful at it all this time and and he's had a ton of success like i mean i know it's easy to kind of crap on him and and the red zone stuff is is frustrating but like he was really really good last year yeah Uh, and so it's not like he can't be successful in this offense, but I don't know that this idea that like, oh, isolate him in the red zone, you know, oh, they can't figure out how to do that. Like, maybe he's just not real good at it. Maybe we got to do some research into his time in New Orleans and and see what uh, see see how he functioned in, into that offense because I, I just remember seeing highlights like left and right of them doing that. Or am yeah. I wrong? I know. I think I think you're right, Evan, and and um, I mean I, I think you're right as well, Nathan, in that. You know, he's not necessarily the greatest route runner, but um, I seem to remember him getting plenty of separation in New Orleans on, on a number of plays and seam routes. That, and there's things, there might be routes that he runs that Russell doesn't throw, um, just based on on the way that, that Seattle runs things as possible. I think he also is probably more reliant on play action, and we haven't had much run game to, to pull people off from from a linebacker perspective. Yeah, But <laughs> to, to, like, kind of – you know, gripes I got to get out. But one was everyone's like celebrating the, the the fade to Jimmy in the end zone. I still thought that was a crappy throw like that. Like it wasn't high. Like, like Jimmy completely boxed out his player, but I didn't feel like we finally found something. I still don't understand why Russell hasn't been able to work with receivers and consistently get the high fade thrown where the only his receiver can reach it. Um, and, and that might just be me. And the other is like, Russell threw that terrible interception in that game. That was a huge play. And all I've heard about is how amazing he is for chasing down the guy and tackling him. <laughs> like, that's all I hear. And I'm like, 
but he threw an interception, like all unacceptable interception in the red zone. Lost the game. And the play before that, like he, there was a wide open. I think it was Jimmy Graham, like standing there by himself for like five minutes, and then he finally threw it to him. Like, anyway, sorry. Those are two things that came into <laughs> part of this conversation. That I was like, ah. All right. So sticking with Jimmy and Russell, that helps transition to the next question. This is a little more fun one because we'll probably get more of a variety. But next question for the roundtable here of Hawk Blogger analysts. Which player has surprised you the most in a positive way? And which player has been uh, the biggest disappointment? So uh, how about you, Evan? How about you start with this one? No, I, so I, got, I got to think about this one. This one's a tough question. Pass on to Nathan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, pleasant surprise might be a Fetty. Uh, which one. is hard for me to really come to terms with. Uh, <laughs> biggest disappointment, though, I mean, that one's kind of interesting. I don't know that I have a really standout one. Um, KJ, maybe, just because we're used to such a consistent and kind of high level from him, and it doesn't feel like he's been very impactful. Um and he had some issues in the Tennessee game. So, you know, I would say that just his play in general hasn't been, I mean, quite where you think he's going to be, I guess. Um, and I've been disappointed with Eddie Lacy a little bit. Um, a lot of that's a factor of the offensive line, obviously. But, um, and he has, mo- he's had, had some moments where he's kind of lowered the boom a little bit. But I thought that he might work uh, in this offense with his patience and vision and, um, never having been in particularly athletic, I thought, I thought maybe he could find a way to make this work. And it just, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's gonna. You know, what's interesting about a Fetty is we've talked, we talked about him a ton in the preseason pro football talk. Well, not pro football focus. I was looking at some of their grades today and we could all debate those for hours, but a Fetty's scoring really high in pass blocking and really low in run blocking opposite of everything we talked about in the preseason, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this totally backwards from the guy we debated heavily all summer. It's very heavily influenced by this last game. He, yeah. he had his, his, his best graded pass blocking performance in his career, and it's by a long shot. I don't think he's ever even been in the positive. Mm-hmm. He was strongly positive in this game, and so that that's having an impact there, but I'd echo um, what what Nathan's saying there, and we, we have talked about it. I mean, I, I think we mentioned in the preseason from game to game, Fetty was making progress um, of all the linemen. He was doing that. And I've been as critical as anybody about that guy, but I absolutely recognize progress and he's making it. And he's probably one of our best hopes we've got for a lineman that can solidify and, and be part of the plan going forward. So God, you know, it would be great. I, I, I will raise my hand and say when they called his name out on draft day, I would, my first reaction was not good. Um, <laughs> not something I probably should say here, but you know, if he were, it turns out to be a legitimate starter, those are pretty hard to come by on the offensive line right now. So, so that's, that's not the worst thing. How about you, Brian? Pleasant surprise, biggest disappointment. Uh, pleasant surprise. Um, I'm going to go with Blair Walsh. Walshy. Um, big game. Yeah, I, I, he had an underrated part of that win. Um, I don't think I don't know anybody else. But my son and I watching the game, and every kick, we're like, oh, not really every kick, but but 
you know, it kicked the end of the game really to, to go up. And then the one to, to, to go up by six points, I was like, I don't know if I can look. Like, I, I just feel like he's going to choke. Like, it's not going to go well. I'll, I'll admit I thought that. And uh, he came through. He came through three times on three tough kicks on grass. Um, and uh, he's nine for 10, you know, knock on wood, all that stuff. But uh, I think it's been nice. And I, I enjoy cheering for him. I like a good comeback story. So that's been kind of fun. And, and CJ loves the way he dresses. And I can't disagree with that either. So, um, and then uh, what was it? Disappointment? Yeah. <sighs> I could list a couple, but I want to leave stuff for Evan. So I, I, I will go with uh, the guy I would name would be like kind of kicking someone while they're down. So I'm not going to name him. Um, I, I'll go with um, Thomas Rawls. You know, I I, I, um, I I felt like he was going to come back stronger, and and I still believe in him, and I will offer that. To me, it was no question which running back should have been in there last game. Rawls felt close to breaking a couple. Like, I thought there was a few holes where I expected him to come out the other side and go for a big, big gain. And they kept pulling him. So I feel like he just needs to get his rhythm back, I'm hoping. But so far, he's still just been a pretty unacceptable running back. Yeah, so kind of kind of following up off of that, I'm actually going to go with two free agent acquisitions. Um, pleasant surprise is actually Luke Jokel, who right. I've um, you know kind of been watching not personally the tape, but personally the tape myself, but the tape of like Nathan and Ben Baldwin and all those guys posting on on Twitter, and, and it appears he's been like playing really solid and, and during games he's holding up, and you know he's looked like consistently our our number one or number two best offensive lineman behind Britt. Um, so obviously he's got this little knee scope cleanup thing this weekend or, or this next week. Um, but overall, I, th I think he's looked pretty impressive and absolutely like a candidate for an extension. So um, I, I know a lot of us, including myself, actually kind of, um, you know, knocked that acquisition in the, in the, in the off season. He, he had the knee injury and, and we paid him too much money and all that type of stuff. And I think those were all valid kind of critiques at the time. But he's kind of proven himself, and I'm impressed. So he's the pleasant surprise, Luke Jokel. Pleasant, not the pleasant. The biggest disappointment has been Eddie Lacy. I think I think Nathan said it. We paid him like what four or five mil, something like that. It's just to me, I, I was kind of skeptical of the skeptical of that signing initially, and then I like slowly kind of talked myself into it and got a little hyped into it. But now I'm just extremely disappointed again. Like it, it in relation to his salary. Like, what has he done? You know, he's done nothing. So, yeah, maybe it's the offensive line. I mean, run blocking has been pretty bad. Maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it hasn't looked great. And maybe it's a combination of that. But Eddie Lacy just hasn't been impressive. Yeah. Tanner, I was going to say Tanner McAvoy probably needs to get a, a shout-out for disappointments, unfortunately. Oh. I mean, I, I probably was higher than him, on him than most people, but uh, he has been – a disaster. Yeah, that's a good answer. He he he's had a rough year. Even really that trick bad. play. <laughs> Everyone was knocking the coaching staff on that trick play, which kind of fair, but that play worked. JD McKissick's left on Connor Barwin wide open. He hesitates, hesitates. The safety comes over, makes an interception. Can't even get that right. That's what he's here for. 
So uh, hold up. I, I actually want to stop on this point for a second. I know there's a big McAvoy uh, fan base on Twitter, but we're going to go straight at them in the gut. What, what is McAvoy's actual, like, main positive contribution? What's, like, his selling point? I genuinely don't know the answer. So, like, what, what's his greatest qualities? What, what does he contribute to this team? What has he contributed to this team in the past? First of all, you, you cannot sound credible as a crit- critic if you're going to call him McAvoy. It's not- <laughs> oh, did I say it wrong? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's Tanner McAvoy. McAvoy. And, and uh, I would say that I, I you know, Pete Carroll has been very clear in what he sees in Tanner McAvoy. He sees a six foot six athlete and Evan goes directly to the puppy. Introduce your puppy, Evan. <laughs> What's his name? His name is Frodo, like Frodo, Frodo Baggins. Baggins. <laughs> nice. He's adorable. And he's a rescue. That's pretty cool. Yes, her um, Sorry, go back to your McAvoy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Pete loves him because he's six foot six because he's he's played safety quarterback and wide receiver, so he's a great athlete. He's a good special teams player. He actually um, last year blocked a punt. Um, I think he blocked a kick as well. I, I think he had at least – I know he had one punt block in Arizona, and I think he had maybe one other thing he did. And he's been good on coverage units. He has the ability as a tall receiver to be a blocking receiver, which is pretty important in – this type of offense and the running that game that they want to do and get to the outside. Um, and he's shown pretty remarkable hands at times um, uh, in there. So I think that those are all the things that they believe in with him. And, you know, because he's also on a, you know, he's on a rookie deal, they have club control on him. Hello, Nate. That's my son, Nate. I'll hand it off to the next person now. <laughs> I'll juggle's a good answer from Evan. That was one I was going to hit on there. He was kind of regarded as a – that sign was regarded as a joke. Like everyone – I think Bill Barnwell or someone called it the worst signing of the offseason. And the amount of money they gave him was pretty frightening at first based on his past. And he had a horrible opener game against Mike Daniels and the Packers. But every week the guard tape, which has been disastrous really since Carpenter left at left guard, who had his ups and downs. He's been really solid the last three games. It's unfortunate what happened with him, and we're going to touch on that later for sure because he was really coming on. And, yeah, as Evan said, he's definitely a candidate for an extension, but I don't want to use the same answer. So the guy I'm going to go with, it's been Shaq Griffin. I know it's pretty basic, but Shaq's been really awesome, man. To come out and to that first game, Jeremy Lane gets booted from the game, and you're going against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers and to hold your own. And that wasn't a fluke. He's been getting better every week, and he's making plays on the ball, and they're testing him. And He had a couple issues in run support last time. He missed a tackle on the open field. But I've been really impressed how comfortable he's been, and he's only going to get better. I think Pete mentioned it this week that he's in position for interceptions, and once he starts making these plays around the ball, it's going to be an all-around starter, and that gives him such an advantage at cornerback. They really haven't had that great answer opposite Sherman since Maxwell left. and been moving people around and to have a guy like this who's ready to play as a rookie that was a huge boost for them naz jones is another rookie who's really impressed me i think they viewed him when they drafted him as more of a run stuffer but he's really shown to be an all-around an interior disruptor and he he's played limited snaps but he's held his own and i think he's a player to get that those two guys in the third round has been 
It's been really good. Tyler Lockett's another guy I would shout out. Coming off a major injury, he's looked really good to me. He's been open a ton. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, Brian might disagree. I think Russell's been more of an issue than Lockett has. If you look at every single game film, Lockett is wide open numerous times. Down the field. You're, you're right. I, I guess I haven't seen Lockett look nearly as explosive as he has in the past. No, so. but he's, he's consistently open, and his route running is ridiculously good. Yeah. I think, I think yeah, he's no, pretty explosive. I, I disagree. I just thought that was interesting. Lockett had those uh, the end arounds that have been pretty good. He had the screen pass I think he caught along the sideline in the, the Niner game maybe where he kind of almost broke it up the sideline. I, I, th- yeah. I think he's actually looked uh, – I think Lockett's a really good pleasantly surprised just talking about you know where he he came from with an injury. Exactly. Um, from a disappointment standpoint, sticking at receiver, it's got to be to me Amara Darbo. He uh. was, we were so down on him and – in training camp, Brian was kind of the first guy. I know he was a third round pick to say he shouldn't be on the team. Has he done anything yet? I know it's only five I games. Got... I don't want to judge too much, but I know everyone's been bagging on McAvoy too. What has this guy done? He didn't do anything in training camp. Didn't do anything in the preseason. The team kind of hyped him up after they let go of Casey Williams. I want to see something, just something to believe in. It might be one of those things where we don't really see a, a real yeah. offensive impact until year two. Maybe when P. Rich walks, maybe maybe there's like a, a plan there. Nathan shaking his head, no. No, I just don't want to think about preach leaving. That makes me sad. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be the uh, the contrarian here as I often am. Um, I, I mean, my expectations were low. So it's all about where your expectations were. When you're talking about surprises and disappointments. Um, something. I, I actually, I, I liked the way he went up and got the ball in traffic in Green Bay, even though he was pushed out of bounds um, on that play. Um, I thought that the, the chances he's got, he's looked effective in trying to go after the ball. Um, you know, I think he is a fifth receiver that is a developmental player and uh, an athlete that they're going to try to, you know, I think I think to Evan's point, you might see more than the following year. So it's hard for me to call him a disappointment, but I can go on a long streak if you want to start going off of like Sheldon Richardson. Can't say he's been a disappointment overall, especially this last game, but disappointment relative to my expectations. Yeah, I was expecting a lot more than what I've seen so far in terms of disruption. Um, Justin Coleman, huge pleasant surprise. Like, I mean, for that guy to come in and I'll say it. I think he's. I think he's a better slot corner than Jeremy Lane, and and uh, like from the get, I think he was a better slot corner than Jeremy Lane. And um, <laughs> I know Jeremy follows me on Twitter, and and maybe some of the tweets I was sending out was leading him to, to talk about people sleeping on him. Maybe not. I'm not trying to be egotistical. I've caused that before. Uh, I'm just being honest. I, I think I think Coleman has been a real pleasant surprise. And, you know, you go on down the list. I think Nas Jones definitely has been a pleasant surprise. I think that uh, – I think Frank Clark was starting to be on the disappointment list, but it's definitely come on strong. Um, I expected so much from him, and now he's getting snaps. Uh, yeah, so – What about Odiamba? What about Odiamba? What do you guys feel on him? I know he he's is, the backup. He is who I thought he was. You thought he was the worst tackle in the league? Yeah. <laughs> I was uh, optimistic for Odiambo when they drafted him. Uh, it was obviously concerning that he couldn't see the field last year. Um, 
I thought maybe he shows some stuff in the preseason where he would not be the worst tackle in the league. Uh, but he is a third round pick who is the worst tackle in the league. And that's, you know, not great. George Fant was the worst tackle in the league last year. Yeah, but George uh, Fant was at one point the worst tackle in the league. Doesn't mean think- that he's of no value. Reese has got like, what, four years on Fant, though? I guess Fant's maybe a little older, too. But Reese was an old rookie, I'm pretty sure. So. Yeah, I don't know. You know it's disappointing also? That all the Seahawks linemen who leave become incredible. <laughs> oh. <laughs> did, did anyone see Russell Kung last week? Like some of the highlights of him? Like, Man handling people. With, like, people. Forearm shivers and J.R. Sweezy now can pass protect? <sighs> I don't know if you guys follow Duke Mannyweather on Twitter, who's probably one of the smartest offensive line. He was tweeting out, Called Sweezy, the most improved offensive lineman in football. I don't know if they could have afforded him. Yeah, it's it's really weird how these guys come here and aren't good, and then go somewhere else and are better. I wonder what the common denominator is. Huh? Interesting. Well, all right. Before we get into a pity party here, (laughs) let's just all thank our lucky stars. We are not New York Giants fans, right? Okay. Yeah. Like, I mean, talk about crushing. Like. I don't even know. I haven't even gotten all the details on the Dominic Rogers Camardi uh, situation. There's some rumors that he was fighting with the coach, like physically fighting, and got suspended. And they got three receivers out. The Texans lose two of their major pass rushers in one week. You know, like uh, yeah, we've we've got some issues. Offensive line's been improving week to week. I would say I think the bigger, more interesting question is. We've all been really hard on Tom Cable, and I think he absolutely deserves it and more. But uh, we all talked about Effetti being a pleasant surprise, looking like he might pan out. Justin Britt is a Pro Bowl alternate um, at center and and has been decent this year. Bill, who we all said was a totally bad pickup and was overpaid, we're all admitting actually looks decent. So – at one point, do we start saying, all right, you know, if this line's developing week to week and they lost their starting left tackle and they're still, you know, you know, doing what they can do, you know, he deserves a little bit of credit for that um, as much as it might be hard to give it. And, and you could make the argument right now they've got a left tackle and a right guard problem to solve. And the other three spots are, are not horrible. Um, and, and that's where you get into some of these, I think, reasonable rumors about left tackle and i know jeff's gonna have us talk about that at some point yeah so that actually leads to my next question we we, we've mentioned that joko is getting his knee scout i think it's tomorrow thursday i believe what do they do in the offensive line now who plays left tackle who plays left guard there's a couple options i don't know if you we can make trades for them or sign players for them but given what they have with ethan posick or glowinski or isaiah battle maybe Tobin, who's been their sixth lineman, how do you guys think they? Well, they what do the what the hell do they do here? I'll start. I'll start on this if that's okay. I, I I'm a huge proponent of moving Reese to left guard and then aggressively going after Brandon Albert. I seriously think that was out of kind of like the recent situation of you know rumored guys of who Seattle's going after at left tackle. I think Brandon Albert, considering the compensation, the cost, you know. Um, He's not going to require any draft picks in the trade or anything like that. Like he's a free agent on the street. 
I think, um, and, and he's only two years removed from like a Pro Bowl season. I mean, he's, and he's the same age as Dwayne Brown. So I, I think considering the cost compensation, the whole situation, and the Seahawks cap in perspective, I would seriously aggressively go after Brandon Albert. I'm kind of bummed that um, he's visiting New York later this week and that he kind of got out of the facility without, without a deal. So who knows what happens, but I'm really bummed. I'm really bummed that they are kind of appearing to let him walk. Why would they, why would New York sign Brandon Albert? What's the purpose of doing that? Maybe they're delusional like the Cardinals. <laughs> I mean, Oh, and five, you lost half your team for the season. Your quarterback's old and sucks anyway, and he's going to make horrible faces for us all to laugh at. Like, why are you trying to prevent any of that? Well, you got you got to sell tickets, right? <laughs> Brandon Albert's going to bring him in, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, go on with your question, Jeff. <laughs> no, that's that's the question. I don't know if Brian or Nathan wants to chime in, but for now, do you guys have any solutions to this offensive line thing? Because it's really weird to me that we're talking about like, what the hell are they going to do on the offensive line, and should they go resign sign this guy who? like up and retired on his team or should they trade a ton of compensation for you know a good left tackle who's holding out they have a second round pick sitting on the bench doing jack all like you want to talk about disappointment with reese he's supposed to can't beat him out like what is what is he doing i get it he's the backup center like you figure that out you bring back joey hunt you find you call lemuel jean pierre or whatever like Posick should be seeing the field with it's one thing to say he's a second-round rookie, you know, you've got George Fant and you've got all these guys, and so, you know, he's going to ride the bench, but, like, you've had a series of injuries now. You've already benched a player for poor performance, and Posick can't see the field. That's problematic to me. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. Um, I think that he might. I think that might be part of the answer. I, I think the, the, some people are going to assume that Glowinski is going to go back in. That would be an obvious choice that he'll take over for Joe Cole while he's out um, with this injury. I actually don't think that's the case. I think the team is ready to see what else they have. They've seen plenty of Lewinsky. They know what they have there, and I don't think they're expecting something to, you know, all of a sudden change. Maybe it will, but I don't think they're expecting that right now. So your choices are a couple. One, Risto Diambo was your backup left guard. You could slide him inside and put Matt Tobin out at left tackle um, or Isaiah Battle or something like that. I don't think they generally like to move multiple positions. So I, I think they keep Reese where he is. And I think that they, I think they're going to elevate Tobin to left guard um, is something that might happen. He's actually a guard and a tackle in Philadelphia. He's a better run blocker than he is a pass blocker. He's a horrible pass blocker from all accounts. Um, <laughs> hey, Brian, is there, some... players. Have you, is there something going on with your mic or is it the audio? It's are you guys able to hear me yeah it's just there's some start fading a bit huh well maybe you guys want to go on i'll, I'll try to talk later okay let's see yeah were you guys hearing that too yeah, yeah. It was. yeah, yeah. okay yeah i didn't want to interrupt like a jerk but it was start fading. <laughs> no please do Okay, so Brian did mention the Giants. So getting back to maybe the roundtable, Brian sent this question earlier when we, we were all talking. I think it's a good point to bring up now that he mentioned the, the worst team in football. So how good is the Seahawks team? After what you've seen the first five games, it's been a crazy up and down start. They seem like they've started to figure it out. But maybe how have your expectations changed after these first five games? And 
where do you see the ceiling for these guys right now? Nathan, you want to start? Yeah, sure. Uh, I was kind of talking about this the other day, actually, with a friend of mine. They have that feeling of one of those kind of established sports teams um, that's been good for a while, and uh, they're maybe not as hungry as teams that are kind of on the come, and so they kind of sleepwalk a little bit. Um, you know, the Packers did this a little bit, you know, a year or two ago. And, and you see teams that are good and have been good for a while that kind of, they don't shoot out the gates. They kind of just hang around, just kind of find ways to win. And so I think that there's still, you know, a really good football team here. Um, there's the identity stuff on offense and, and where they go with that, I think we'll probably end up deciding a lot with just how good they can be. Um, but they're, a, they're a, a good team right now that still has the chance to be a, a great team. No, I, I completely agree. I think they're still uh, – I, th- I still think they're a top five NFL team talent-wise. I think they absolutely are Super Bowl contenders, even with the, with the struggles of their current offense. I think their defense um, will end up being that good. Um, I, I think, as Nathan said, the offensive line is really probably going to – determine how far they go unless Russ catches some serious heat and Russ is a really streaky player. So who knows, maybe Russ uh, comes out firing the rest of the season. But um, I think, I think the offense is really gonna, 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 gonna take this team as far as they can go. So. So can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, Yeah, that's, yeah, I think you're back to normal now. Well, I feel like I want to at least get at what I'd said before, which is uh, I think they're either going to keep Reese at left tackle and bring Tobin in at left guard. Um, Tobin played guard back for the Eagles as well, so I think that might happen. Or they'll give Posick a shot. So um, I think that what Nathan said is definitely a fair point, and we'll see. Uh, And the question for this time was, was what? How good are the Seahawks? Yeah. And have your expectations changed after the first five games? Damn, that's a tough one because, you know, my expectations were sky high. So um, I would say that they're no, they're not as high as they were. Um, but but uh, I don't. I look around the NFL, and there's no team that I see that scares me necessarily like um where i see a really dominant team and that might just be the new nfl to be honest um but uh i mean the patriots <laughs> they they have a great offense it's going to always be hard to beat and they have the worst defense you know well, historically bad defense and including their win in tampa bay which should have been a loss they're giving up 400 plus yards a game to everybody um the Chiefs, who I have a lot of respect for, do I have a friend that's a Chiefs fan talking all the time? I'm like, I get it, but get back to me when Alex Smith is the guy determining whether you win or lose in, in the playoffs and the AFC Championship or the Super Bowl. Like, I wouldn't be intimidated to face Alex Smith against our defense. I don't care who they have on the other side of the ball. Um, so anyway, I could go on and on. So I don't think the bar is as high as it was in 2013. I don't think this team has to be like the 2013 squad to be a championship quality team, but they've got to get to the way I put it is zero of the first eight quarters of offense. were good. Zero of eight. Um, I would say that 
the second half of the Titans game. So two quarters there. Um, the second half of the of the Colts game, two quarters there, and the second quarter of the Rams game were all really good, bordering on great. So that's you know, I put that together. That's five quarters. Sorry, two, four, yeah, five quarters out of the last uh, twelve. So you're almost batting fifty percent after going zero for eight. I think they need to get to where. You know, I think this team consistently can win when they, if their offense puts together two great quarters. But if they can put three quarters together, then I think we're going to start seeing a consistent victory. So, I mean, that's kind of in my mind what I'm looking for is can an offense be consistent enough to put three good quarters together without being dominant? Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And I think all of us had higher expectations for the offense, and that's maybe shifted our expectations a little bit, especially with Russell, how good he looked in the preseason. Last year just seemed like a total anomaly. He was hurt. The offensive line was as bad as you're ever going to get, and they had no running game. I think we we all assumed that Russell would be a lot better, the running game would be a lot better, and losing Carson and Fant, that, that, does, that has had an impact. I think if you have George Fant, you could arguably be maybe, maybe you're 5-0 and right now. That's, that's crazy, but as bad as Reese has been, I'm not the biggest Fant guy, but there are plays in that Green Bay game and that Tennessee game where you're just whiffing, whiffing, whiffing. So that has hurt. But I think we were all kind of similar that the Seahawks, I think they showed a ton in that last game. And I, I don't know. I know you don't want to overreact to one game. But the fact they were able to hang tough, play that kind of defense at all three levels against a pretty good team. I think the Rams, I'm not the biggest Jared Goff guy like Nathan, <laughs> but I think the Rams are a pretty good team. And the fact that the Seahawks could win with, basically nothing out of their offense in the second half. I think that says a lot about this team. I think there's a lot to like about this team, but maybe they're not that dominant 2013-level team we thought we were going to see out of the preseason. But I think they're an NFC contender. I think they're going to get better as the year goes on. And One of the best things about Pete Carroll is his teams always get better as the year goes on in the second half, and there's still a lot to like right now this team. So, Can we do something real quick, Jeff? Uh, yeah. Let's, let's test this and just see. Sure. I'm going to quickly go through the games the rest of the season. I've got it right in front of me. Perfect. Loss. You can go thumbs up, thumbs down, all right? So Giants, everyone expecting wins. So that's, so that's one. Houston, home. Okay, everyone's a win there. That's two. Washington, home. We got, okay, everyone, so we got three wins. They're so, going undefeated okay. the rest of the way. <laughs> At Arizona, for me, that's, that's a win. Anyone disagree? All right. I think they stink. I do too. Home against Atlanta. Okay, interesting. So okay, let's. Let, I'll, I'll go with that. Everyone's down on that. So I'm gonna say that's a loss. That's one loss. Um, at San Francisco. Oh, look oh. at that is a loss. Mr. Positive. We're gonna lay a turd in San Fran. I'm telling you, <laughs> I'm the most positive person ever. But we're gonna lose in San Francisco this year, or Santa Clara, or wherever the hell they are. I'm telling you. No, okay. I think uh, I think it'll be that one strange rivalry game that we that we lose, and I know this is like a okay. blowing concept for Evan to predict like this that the Seahawks lose. But I think this is one of those games where it just happens, like shit happens sometimes, and and I think this is gonna be that game. Well, let's err towards conservative and call that a loss too. All right, um, home against Philadelphia. Ah, split 50-50. So Evan and I are up. We think you're going to win. 
Nathan and Jeff are no. So Nathan and, and Jeff, why? That Philadelphia D is legit. Yeah, I think their D line yeah. smokes the offensive line. Yeah. They they they're still looking for their franchise quarterback though. <laughs> Don't tell the Browns fans. <laughs> how, did, how did that game go last year and why is the Philadelphia defense any better than it was last year? I don't know. That team just feels better. I mean, uh, it being a, it, they, they get Philly at home, right? They do. That makes it, you know, I, I don't know. You talk about teams that I'm scared of, that's not a lot, but Philly's one I'm concerned about. But Russell catches touchdowns against the Eagles. That was actually a pretty close <laughs> game. Nice runs for touchdowns. Yeah. <laughs> um, they, they got two players on their defensive line that made a pretty good group. Three guys, actually, that made a pretty good group. Really good. Derek Barnett was their first-round pick. He's a pretty good pass rusher. Timmy Jernigan's been really good for them. They got him from Baltimore. He's a really good interior player beside Fletcher Cox. And Fletcher Cox absolutely destroyed, I think, Glowinski last year. And they got Chris Long, who's not the best at this point of his career. But that game with them last year was pretty close, but Wentz had a couple bad mistakes that kind of turned. He threw a pick the Chancellor at the end of the half. And there's a couple deep shots he tried throwing. So I think Wentz has gotten better. He's not – some of his underlying stats say he's not that good still. But I think that's a pretty good team right now. And I had to pick a loss somewhere. I didn't want to pick San Francisco like Evans. So I have to go somewhere. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So we'll call that a loss too. So we've got we've got Atlanta. That's gonna be a three game losing streak if it goes the way you guys are talking about. That sounds pretty bad. That's At Jacksonville, I got a loss. Oh, wait. No. Yeah. No, we're gonna win that game. Interesting. I'm the only one that thinks they're gonna lose that game. I think that's the only great defense they're gonna face the rest of the year. I, I think the Eagles are way overrated, and and uh, they're they're gonna be in pain. But uh, that Jacksonville defense is insane right now. They're playing at, at a true elite level. I think passer rating around 58, something like that. Um, and their whole defensive line is just brutal. Like, I think oh, every position. Calais Campbell, Malik Jackson, <laughs> uh, you know, their first-round pick, what was his name? Um, Fowler, Dante Fowler, I think. Yeah. Anyway, I think that game on the road – I don't see us. I don't see us winning that game. They're not going to lose to Blake Bortles. That's uh, right. And we're not going to lose to Blake Bortles. Do you know who Blake Bortles uh, is, Brian? <laughs> we don't lose to Blake Bortles. Sorry, guys. By my rules, it's a loss because one Did of us. I think they let him throw only once in the second half of that game last week. Yeah, I mean they're not letting him do anything with good reason. I, I can't <laughs> have him a world where they lose to Blake Bortles. You shut down the run game and then you force Blake Bortles to throw the ball. What's going to happen? Here's what's going to happen is that they're actually going to win the Philadelphia game and, and the San Francisco game, and they'll be flying high, and they'll go in and everyone will be like, how the hell did we lose to Jacksonville? That's what's going to happen. So yeah, That probably um, sounds more realistic. Uh, home against the Rams. Yeah. I got that as a win. All right, we're all there. At Dallas. Oh. Oh, that's a tough one, right? It's Christmas. I think it's Christmas Eve or something like that. Um, I'm going with a win, a weak win. <laughs> and Jeff's got him as a loss. Tell us about that, Jeff. I just think the way to beat Seattle is to beat them up front. And I think that offensive line against kind of a our defensive line that we've had trouble when those guys have come. And I don't know. I just think Dak and Zeke, they, it's a tough place to play. I don't know. 
and we always have trouble with that Marinelli defense. I don't know why. It's not that good, but he's got some similar to the Packers. He's got Wilson's number. We have trouble with the Marinelli defense because we've got the the Tom Cable line. <laughs> I think that's pretty much it. All right. So I'm wrong. So then the final game is home against Arizona. I think we all have that as a win. So so losses we had in there was Atlanta, San Francisco, Philadelphia, Jacksonville, Dallas. That's five losses. We've already got two. So we're we're talking nine and seven. Well, that's if everyone's right. Can we can we throw Evan's vote for San Francisco? Picked all the wrong losses. Come on. <laughs> and I was outnumbered in the Dallas game three to one. Yeah, if we if we drop the majority down, count as losses. If we dropped it down to games where only one person thought it was uh, a loss, <laughs> that would eject Jacksonville and San Francisco, um, and Dallas. So then that would be twelve and four. Twelve and four. So maybe that's our range: nine and seven to twelve and four is is what we're looking at. So we have um, no idea. <laughs> <laughs> It's only like, you know, a quarter of the season. It's okay. All right. Thank you for, for, for putting up with me. I was curious. That was good. That was good. And actually, Evan touched on an interesting point before. And one of the things we were doing earlier on the show that we haven't done in a bit is kind of look at a, a front office view of things. We're always trying to take the big picture perspective. We're kind of looking at the team from different perspectives. I know Evan's the biggest John Schneider fan in the world. So we'll let him, we'll let him be John Schneider for this segment. And the rest of us can. Hey, where's my John Schneider shirt? Hold up, I got to get – no, actually, continue talking. I, I need it. So Evan mentioned his view on this earlier. So I want to get on this a little more because the big story around the Seahawks, and I don't know how many people were refreshing Twitter like crazy that day when Brandon Albert news leaked, was they had Albert in for a visit. And that kind of came out of nowhere. It shocked some people. And Brian has been mentioning this maybe since George Fant got injured, but this rumor keeps sniffing around. Dwayne Brown and the Seahawks. Evan wrote an article for Hawk Blogger this week going through different scenarios, how it could work cap-wise. There was interesting moves with Jimmy Graham and Michael Bennett and taking on the credit card cap situation. Okay, so I want to ask you guys, just from a front office perspective, we'll put on our Schneider hats right now. Option one is you give up the big compensation and you get the, the good left tackle. The guy who's really going to stabilize you. He's playing his own blocking system. He's been holding out. Dwayne Brown has been a Pro Bowl level player, both pass blocking and run blocking for quite a while. Option two is you bring in Brandon Albert, the guy who, as we said before, he left his team. He hasn't played all year. He had kind of a down year last year after a pretty good season. They traded him to Jacksonville, and he didn't want to show up unless he got a ton of money. Philosophically, what makes more sense, especially from this team, how they built it? That's awesome. Do you, A, trade for the better player that's going to cost you more cap-wise and compensation-wise, or B, do you go with the lesser player who's going to cost basically nothing other than money or cap room? What makes more sense? Who's starting? You. You wrote about it. Oh, good point. I guess that's true. Um, I would – I don't know. Like, trading for – I have such mixed thoughts on this. Like, of course, it'd be awesome to, you know, add Dwayne Brown to, to the mix and immediately upgrade that left tackle position. I think it would immediately change um, and impact the offense in a big way. But at the same time, you're also probably going to give up a lot. The rumor is first-round pick from that is what the Texans want. So 
I am not a huge fan of shelling out that first round pick, especially considering we don't have that second round pick. So if we shell out that first round pick, then we kind of give away that opportunity opportunity to trade down and reacquire those picks that John, John Schneider does every single year. Um, yeah. So considering cost compensation, much rather go the Brandon Albert route, but I mean, I, I have a feeling the Texans are going to want to haul. Yeah. I mean, it'd be one thing if Dwayne Brown wasn't 32 and holding out for a contract extension, Um, but he's 32 and he wants to get paid. And I I don't know how Seattle really, I mean, there's always ways. And I mean, you talked about that, but like uh, it does, it doesn't seem like a a wise investment to me. Yeah. No, touching on what you just said, it's one, it's one of those things where obviously with the rookie wage scale system, you get four years of a really cheap contract and really cheap club control. And, you know, if you trade for a star left tackle, who's immediately going to get paid, what, like 13, 14, 15 million a year, something insane. You skip those years of really cheap club control where you can kind of like build the roster and, you know, add talent in other areas. So you're immediately going to the elite, like I'm paying an elite player level, which I mean, playing an elite player isn't a bad thing, but it's not <laughs> ideal when you can draft and develop type of thing. So, um, yeah, good thoughts. What about you, Brian? Any contrarian takes here? Um, if you can get Dwayne Brown, get Dwayne Brown. Make it happen. Um I've seen it happen too many times with sports teams that have, and it's not just football. I've seen it in basketball too for all the Blazers fans that that remember way back in the day, they add Buck Williams and uh, all of a sudden that nineties Blazer team comes. Now you guys were, some of you are probably not born yet, but Evan, (laughs) Um, but uh, you know, I've seen that as well with the Seahawks when they added Chris Perry and a right tackle and it, it helped that team take off. And granted, I don't think we're one lineman away from this being a great line the way we were with a Chris Perry situation back in early 2000s. But like I said before, I see two major holes. And, and I think if you get down to a line that has one major hole, you can scheme. You can scheme around that. You can game plan around that. But um, it's really hard when you know your left tackle is as bad as our left tackle is right now. And we just all talked about it. This team has the potential. They this this could and maybe should be the best defense in football. Again, um, Russell Wilson has the potential. The receivers and the receiving options have the potential. And you know, I look at the people that they'd probably be looking to trade. You know, if they want a first-round pick, then it's not going to happen. I don't think they're giving up a first-round pick for an old tackle. But do I think a guy like Jimmy Graham, um, maybe a guy like Michael Bennett, I think that's a harder thing for me to imagine. But could it be Jimmy Graham? Yeah, I think he's on a $10 million deal, and he's gone after this year, and I don't think he has any intention of coming back. So I've got, a question, I've got a question for you on this, Brian. Yeah. Jimmy Graham and a third-round pick. Your general manager, John Schneider, are you making that trade? 100%. 100%. No, no hesitation whatsoever. Okay. Um, I, you know, I might get some, some pushback from Nathan. I invite it. But Jimmy Graham is not needed for this offense to be great. A, a functioning offensive line 
is needed for this offense to be great. And so, um, you know, my evidence I will always come back to is the 2015 second half of the season, and people can call that whatever they want in terms of, you know, one specific point in time. But Jimmy Graham was not part of that uprising. Um, and pretty much all the weapons we had back then are still here, plus Paul Richardson. Um, so anyway, uh, you know, yeah, I, I would, I really think that they need to get a left tackle if they can find one. Um, and I, I agree with you. If they can bring in Brandon Albert, bring in Brandon Albert, but they got to bring in something, someone else. Yeah. You know, you bring up 2015 and Jimmy being out for the second half of that year. Uh, the thing that changed there is that they took um, a disaster in Drew Nowak and they replaced him with a competent player. And uh maybe you can do the same thing and take a disaster and Reese and replace them with a competent player. And you don't need to go get a Dwayne Brown to, to get that same kind of improvement. That's not exactly what happened though. I got to call you on that. No, no, was, was uh, replaced much earlier than when that, that happened. John Pierre came in, I think in game four. Um, and I can go back and double check if, if uh, you guys want to talk for a second, but um the real change happened after while we're on bye week it really happened after the bye week they made a significant change to their scheme design in that they went to quick passing and um pete was honest and open about that um it was very obvious in how they started uh, approaching things and jimmy was there for part of it so it wasn't that they got better because jimmy left because jimmy was part of the pittsburgh game where they were going off and then he got hurt. So I'm not saying that they can't be good with Jimmy. That's not the case. And I've seen people try to say that. And that's not true either. The timing doesn't match up at all. But he was not the reason. He was not required for them to be the best, most efficient offense we've seen them be during, you know, you know the last four or five years. So just took a look at it. Noak started seven games uh, by week with week nine. So he went out right before the bye week, it looks like. So he lasted a while. I mean, they did. They did. It was more than just Noak. You don't just replace the center and turn into the best offense in the NFL. Um, but I mean, it certainly helped a lot. Um, and there's no reason that they can't do the same type of stuff um, that they were doing then. And they, and they have been doing some of it, right? I mean, they had a 15 play, 75 yard drive on on Sunday. That's insane. So I mean, they can still do it. They can do it with Jimmy. Um, I don't know that they need to uh, go all in for a Dwayne Brown. You know, maybe you can get that same kind of uh, replace a black hole with an actual NFL player and um, see a, a big gain from it. So, are they, is there any chance Jimmy's coming back next year, or is this is this it for him? Regardless, I'd be surprised. I, yeah, yeah. It, it seems like it seems like Seattle loves to extend players, like right in between that third and fourth year gap. If, if, if they're going to extend him and, and, you know, obviously we're in the last year of his contract, they could, obviously they could still extend him, but considering what I think he's going to ask for in terms of money and what I think teams might be willing to pay, I don't see him fitting in with like all these extensions that Seattle needs to do. I mean, we're talking, do you want to extend Frank Clark? Do you want to extend Sheldon Richardson? Do you want to extend Tyler Lockett? Do you want to extend Earl Thomas? Do you want to extend Richard Sherman? Like we've got a ton of people to extend. Like all the, yeah, Luke Jokel. Um, Richardson. Yeah, yeah, Richardson. Um, there's a lot of big decisions to make. And 
I mean, Deshaun Shed, if he, if he ends up, comes back and starts balling, maybe you want to give him a little, a little chunk of the pie. I mean, I, to me, it's very hard for me. Like, I don't know. There's a ton of big Jimmy Graham lovers on Seahawks Twitter, and I totally get it, and I respect it. But to me, his salary, what he will demand, will not justify his role on this team, if that makes sense. So can you take on another big salary that's going to be longer than a year into Dwayne Brown if you have all these guys to sign, right? Yes, you could, but somebody else is going to go. Okay. So who do you lose to get Brown? <sighs> I mean – Who are you willing to lose? If, if, you, if you trade for Dwayne Brown, then I don't think you could – yeah, I mean, Cliff Averill has to walk. I, I don't think you can do Sheldon and Frank together. Um, what about Bennett? What, what happens with Bennett's deal? I, I think Bennett's here to stay, <laughs> honestly. There's been – like Davis has talked about a big roster bonus that he has in 2018. I, 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 don't, I don't think he's moving on. Like they, they just extended him. I, I really don't see them moving on a year later. I think, I, th- I think he still has some in the tank. Yeah, that's the question because I know Albert – I wonder if Albert's a money thing right now because Evan, you mentioned in your article this week. What do they have? One to two million in cap room right now? It's like nothing. <laughs> he wanted he wanted like ten million a year to stay with Jacksonville. So I know it might just be that. It might be just be he wants more money, and that's why he's going to New York. Oh, it totally could be. It, I mean, it probably is. That's yeah. No, that's exactly what it is. Because I I know Ben Albright. Uh, he's a writer. He's a radio guy in Denver. Mentioned the they were using him as leverage for Dwayne Brown. Do you guys buy that or is that just a total? You buy it? Oh, yeah. John Schneider plays some evil mind games. Are you telling me? Are you kidding me? John Schneider's playing like a 3D chess match right now. We're all like pawns <laughs> the world. I'm telling you. No, but actually I do, I do think it's – I think it's a, it's a leverage move. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I, I don't have a hard time believing that at all. So when they play week seven, Giants game, who's the, who's their left tackle? Seattle or New York's? Seattle. I don't <laughs> who cares about New York. That guy's going to – Eric Flowers. Yeah, he's a disaster. I have no idea. I mean, it's probably <laughs> – <some reason. laughs> if, if they haven't made a change yet, why are they going to – I mean, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe Ryan Albert comes in or something. But it just seems like if they haven't made a change yet, I, I, I don't know why they would. I'm betting John Schneider makes a deal. Oh, baby. Ben John Schneider makes a deal. I think he's looking at what he's got. I think this, this, this bye week came at just the right time. Not just, you know, for this particular issue. I think he's just, this is when they, they do their assessment of their team. They take that time. They self-scout. They're looking for tendencies. And are you guys hearing me okay? Your mic is pretty garbled. Yeah. It's, Dang it. It's going again. Darn it. No worries. So I just don't see them giving up first, right? So that's probably not going to happen. I can't see Schneider coming out of this year with no first or second. We got to throw it out. Is a third and Jimmy Graham worth it? Evan, you're the draft guy. You're the cap guy. I'd do it. you do that deal? you do that yeah. deal? I would. Uh, I would too. I, I, I think uh, maybe, maybe Nathan disagrees, but I think I side with Brian on this one. I think uh, – I think a, having a left tackle, a le, like a solid left tackle to me is much more critical and like beneficial for Russ than having like a really good tight end. I think, um, I think Russ is one of those people that loves his route runners and, and is, is okay with working with the small receivers. And 
I'd rather keep them upright and I'd rather keep them protected. And um, yeah, I think I'd rather invest in his protection, honestly. What was the deal again? Uh, third round in Jimmy Graham for Dwayne Brown. Third round's kind of they they're terrible at the third round now all of a sudden that's their new thing <laughs> although i mean that's not true they got Shaq and Naz. Shaq and Naz, Shaq and Naz, yeah uh that's true uh, it's a little rich no, and, and it, to me it's really just about the 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 pick more than anything i mean mm-hmm. if jimmy graham can go a long ways to getting you dwayne brown I, I don't hate that deal um i think i would hope you'd go a little farther than having to include a third round pick though okay so how about how about this updated jimmy graham in a third round pick for dwayne brown in a fifth round pick yeah i do that i think yeah. Yeah, I'm good with that. Yeah. All right, let's get Schneider on the horn. We worked Schneider it out for him. Let's get this done right now. Is is my mic any better yet? No, that's that sound better. Well, let's try this again. So I think we're at the right point where they're self scouting. Um, that's what they do during the bye week, and um. I think that it's also coming when Dwayne Browns being getting the most leverage um, or, or starting to lose some leverage and there's, there's some potential movement and what he's going to demand from a contract from a new team and from what his team's willing to do. You've got the Texans who have been able to survive and actually thrive without him. Um, so I think they're realizing that maybe it's, they're better off moving on and getting something for him than, than sticking with him. So I do think there's an option there. And, and, and if that doesn't work, you know, I, I guarantee you Schneider's calling every team that he think has any reason to potentially – like, I know everyone wants to hear Joe Thomas. I don't think he's just – I just let's, don't think he's available. Let's, let's stop talking about that. I just don't think he's available. Joe Thomas but, is not available. No. But, yeah, I, think, I, I absolutely think Schneider's going to try to make some move it on the offensive line before we play another game. Um. But if I had to guess who's going to start against the Giants, it's going to be Reese. Okay, another trade I want to ask you guys about. Uh, it's don't want to spend too much time on this one, but Adrian Peterson, Arizona. What do you guys think of that? Does that make them better? Or is it them just grasping at straws? I'll start. I have a hot take. I think it makes them worse. Seriously. I, 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 don't, think, I, don't, I don't think bringing him in – adds anything to their offense at all. I think, I think AP is washed. I think their offensive line is garbage. I, I mean, why? I, I don't even understand this trade. Like, I wouldn't even trade a 2018 conditional pick for him. It, I, I don't think it makes them better at all. Yeah, I love that Arizona's like the elephant's graveyard for future Hall of Fame running backs. Uh, <laughs> so from that perspective, I really enjoy the trade. Uh, I don't know if it makes them worse just because Kerwin Williams and Chris Johnson are so bad. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's not a needle mover. I don't think I, I'm surprised. they. And we'll see if they actually end up did what the condition was of the trade. Did that come out? I didn't hear the details of the pick. And condition the of six. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, that doesn't seem like a good deal at all. <laughs> Look, I, I've got. I've been all over the place in the Cardinals. So first, I've got to acknowledge that I can't. In the preseason, I was like, I can't believe that Vegas has got them as an eight-win team. I think this team's got so much talent. They're, they're, I think they're going to be better than that. What am I missing? 
what I was missing is that their offensive line is worse than the Seahawks' offensive line. They're one of the. They're one of those. There are a few this year that fall in that category, and they are definitely one of them. And unless Adrian Peterson's going to block for himself, or he's going to block for Carson Palmer, they're not better um, in any meaningful way. Um, you know, so uh, yeah, I, I think Carson Palmer isn't going to last the season. Uh, you know, people talk about Wilson and the hits he's taking. Palmer's taken more hits and is certainly less durable than Wilson's proven to be. Uh, I'm really with that. I'm really with that. And I couldn't believe it turned on Twitter yesterday. And people were just raving about that trade. I'm sure it was like a perfect guy to get. And I know Brian mentioned this before with the the Giants. To me, the Cardinals seem delusional. At some point, and I, I was listening to Mike Lombardi's podcast this week, and I, maybe I just thought I was being a jerk. I'm not the biggest Bruce Arians fan. I'll admit that. I, I kind of love cheering against that team. I find them obnoxious, and they're blamers, and they're finger pointers. And they probably think that about Pete, I imagine, but I find Arians obnoxious. So I have maybe a history of bagging on the Cardinals whenever I can. But to me, if you watch them play, they just look washed. They look like a team that's heading nowhere. And Philly just beat the crap out of them. They barely beat San Francisco. I guess so did we, but that game was ugly. And to me, they're a team that, like, why are you training for a 33-year-old running back? If anything, you should be going with – we're saying the Giants should be doing. Go into that trade deadline and try to move all your assets and get better next year. They got, they're like the grumpy old men team. I don't know. That's what Mike Florio called them. It was a great name. But <laughs> I, don't, I don't see what they're doing. And to get another old guy on that team is probably the last thing they needed. So to me, I don't understand why the media just loves the Cardinals. There's something about them. I don't. I don't know. It just bothered me yesterday and to hear Mike Lombardi say the same thing. That that made me feel a little better. But they're heading towards last place in this division uh, within the next couple of years. Like by next year, I'd expect them to be the fourth out of four teams. I think Palmer will retire. I think Fitzgerald will retire. I think their line is a mess. I think you can see Valdir retire. Uh, he's already talked about that. Um, I think their defense is good. I think I like a lot of who they have on defense. But they don't have a plan at quarterback. Um, and I think you look at San Francisco, they're a quarterback away from being a interesting team. Um, and we've already talked about the Rams. So... Uh, the Cardinals have been built for now, and and I think they're gonna they're gonna be in trouble come come as soon as well this year, um, and then yeah, definitely in the next year. It was interesting. We were we were going to be planning for a buy sell segment, but funny enough, we pretty much hit on every point we were going to talk I, about. I just want to jump in real quick, yeah. Brian. You said that the Cardinals do not have a plan at the quarterback position. I want to tell you something. You are wrong. Bruce Arians completely disagrees. On August 31st, 2017, Bruce Arians was quoted, and maybe you guys know what I'm about to say. Blaine Gabbert has the long-term potential to be a starter. So we may have a long-term starter at the quarterback position for the Cardinals. It may be I, Blaine time for the next day. I, I sit corrected. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't stand Arians. <laughs> He drives me nuts. Harbaugh used to drive me nuts, but I, I don't know. I, re, I respected Harbaugh a lot more than I respect Arians. I don't know what it is about him. Maybe because the media just slurps up every comment he makes. But he just says stuff like that all the time. It's just outrageous. How could you think that Blaine Gabbard is the long-term answer? 
Yeah. I don't know. That guy bothers me. He's a little overrated. In all fairness, Pete says some pretty amazing things himself. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll give you that. I'm saying the Arizona fans are probably saying the same thing about Pete. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I've said it before. I was not a Pete fan before he came here, and he won me over, you know. Um, but I did not have a strong impression of him before he got here. So, anyway, um, listen, fellas, this was great. Um, Jeff, thank you for for hosting as uh, well as you always do, and I want to thank our um, everyone that's joined. Um, been an active chat conversation, been having on the side here. It's been good stuff. Uh, if you haven't already, highly recommend take advantage of the Pagliacci Pizza deal. Uh, Pagliacci Pizza is a sponsor. They're helping us out this year. We're in turn helping you out. Um, Buy an 11-inch pizza Monday through Thursday. Get in a second 11-inch pizza for free just by using the code HawkBlogger. So super easy, awesome pizza. We used it today. I've seen a lot of you guys have been using it, so uh, take advantage of that. And I uh, also want to thank sponsor Steam Donkey Brewery, who's, who's been with us since the beginning, been doing great stuff. And uh, uh, we didn't get to do our, our buy-sell segment that's brought to, the, brought to you by uh, Steam Donkey, but uh, they get a shout out anyway. Fine. We covered everything I want to talk about in that segment. We covered Coleman. We covered a Fetty. We covered uh, the running, the run game. So that means we were really productive tonight. I did not get a chance to sell on Justin Coleman. That's okay. I just <laughs> want to let people know that I uh, last, last time I was on here, I sold on the Rams and I feel very vindicated about that. Uh, I hope I'm wrong about selling on Justin Coleman, I guess, but yeah. Oh, we're going to go at it. I, I, I'm looking forward to that conversation. He's going to learn how to tackle. Yeah, yeah, or, you know, stay on his feet. Oh, guys. <laughs> uh, God. Like, the, the, the tackles that people expected him to make in that game were crazy. Like, they were not easy tackles to make. Um, and, and, yeah, people missed tackles. Shaq Griffin missed a couple key tackles in that game as well, as did KJ and, and some other folks. So... It happens. Um, this is a guy that was like on a practice squad. Uh, what are you hoping for? Yeah. Hold on. I want to get one more rant in before we go. <laughs> what I the hell is with the third and long defense? How have we not talked about this the whole show? How many third and longs did they give up in that game? And even that first, why can't they figure that out? Why is their zone so soft in the middle? Or all these these dump offs are getting wide open. It drives me nuts. They can't get off the field sometimes on third and 12, third and they take a face mask, third and eight, 16 or whatever. That third down defense was driving me absolutely nuts. I was spitting around my apartment like I was a madman. I think part of it's Richard. It's been, I, I've never been a big like hater of Richard, but he's never been super impressive to me. And I think that that was not one of his best games. But, you know, Pete has an interesting kind of uh, thing about his defense where he always um, – I remember them talking or somebody saying, talking about how, you know, he's okay if you want to dump down to your fullback or if you want to dump down to your blocking tight end. Uh, those players aren't in the NFL anymore. You know, you look at all of, you know, the uh, the Rams, their uh, tight ends are, uh, what's it, Gerald Everett and Higby. Those are two guys that can do some damage with the ball. You know, the running backs are Tavon Austin and uh, Todd Gurley and Malcolm Brown, I think, is uh, the third guy. And he looked pretty good. And, you know, obviously all the receivers can do a little damage if you give them space. And so they're getting bit by that a little bit with the way the NFL has changed. There's no, you know, 
uh, Tukuwafus to just let a team dump down to and then swarm and tackle. Like these guys will pick up yards. They, they can pick up ten yards on third and ten if you if you let them. You guys are ruining my golden parachute, which is I'm going to get a job as an offensive quality control coach for any team facing the Seahawks, and I'm just going to tell them third and long, dump it over the middle, first down every time. Yep, right to your running back. Yeah, I, I I'm going to make like at least a hundred thousand a year just with that advice. <laughs> We're all no, dumb. Hopefully Ben McAdoo isn't watching the podcast today. Uh, I'm gonna be sorry when Ben McAdoo gets fired because he's my my son and I get a lot of laughs watching him on the sidelines. So, all right, <laughs> uh, dudes, I gotta I gotta run. Thank you for another fun week talking Hawks. Cool. Have a good one, guys. See you guys. All right, we'll be back next week with uh, no game to talk about, but there'll be a lot to preview for that Giants game. So, have a good week, everyone. Want more great Seahawks talk? Of course you do. Check out the Pedestrian Podcast. It's the official podcast of the UK Seahawkers. Hosted by Stuart Court, Adam Nathan, and Ross Bell. It's fun. It's British. You get accents. You get Seahawks. You get football. It's definitely worth it. They're at pedestrianpodcast.podbean.com or you can find them on iTunes. Check them out.